the previous message, we examined the mindset of great servants of God. But then that begs the question, well, what does that really look like? What is it that great men and women of God actually do? Well, if you desire to do great things for God, I encourage you to continue on with us as we present to you this message titled, The Methods of Great Servants of God. Philippians chapter 3, verse number 7. The Bible says, But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss. For the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having mine own righteousness which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him, and power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth, unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore as many as be perfect be thus minded. And if in anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this day and for your blessings. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your faithfulness. I thank you for being the God that you are. And I'm so thankful, God, that I can call you mine. And I'm so thankful that you consider me yours. Lord, have purchased me, not with uh, things corruptible, Lord, but that which was incorruptible, the precious blood of Christ. And God, I pray, Lord, that you help me not to take your gift for granted, nor live this life that you've given me in vain. Lord, but I do pray that you help me, God, to seek those things which are above, and God, to seek those things that are eternal, that I may attain that prize of the high calling of Jesus Christ. God, help this church, Lord, to follow after you in a great and mighty way, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. This morning, this evening's message kind of goes hand in hand with this morning. And so this morning we looked at uh, 2 Corinthians 4 and we examined the thought of the mindset of godly servants. And we spoke a lot about doing great things for God. And I had shared with you that is my ultimate goal. That is my ultimate goal is to do great things for God. And I'll share with you this, and that is uh, one thing I was studying on this week, I was reading on, was the difference between being <clears throat> goal-minded or process-minded. And that is oftentimes when we simply set our mind on the goal, 
we don't necessarily consider all the things that it takes to get us there. But if we have our mindset on the process, having the goal in mind, but having our focus set on the process that will get us there, then uh, we'll be more apt to actually attain and reach our goal if we do that. And so it's, it, it's kind of in that vein in which we're looking at this evening. Because this morning we, we studied about the mindset of uh, godly servants. And uh, through there, just to kind of go over the mindset of godly servants, because in order to do great things for God, you must first have the correct and proper mindset to do that. We looked at number one, they understood those that do great things for God, they understand uh, that they were appointed a position for a purpose. They had the position of being saved, children of God, but they understand that they are in that position for a purpose, and that is to shine the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ to those around them. They were made members of the body of Christ to be made ministers of the gospel of Christ. And so they understand they were appointed in that position for a purpose, and then they also acknowledge that there will be problems uh, with that. They anticipate those problems, but they trust in their foundation, which is Christ. They have a unique perspective. They focus not on the temporal things, but they focus on the eternal things. They uh, understand uh, there's a principle that they understand, and that is that when they die, others will live, just as what we spoke about, how Jesus Christ says, if a corn of wheat fall to the ground and it, it abide, it abideth alone, but if it die, it bring forth much fruit. If we as Christians, we die to self, we will see life in others, it is, it is a necessity. It has to happen. And so they understand that principle. And then they commit that plan to their life that they will die to self. They will crucify the flesh so that people will see a resurrected Christ and there will be life come forth from that. The, the very simplest of things is what prods them along in that journey. And that is they believe the Lord Jesus Christ. They simply believe him. They take him at his word. That by faith they believe him, therefore they do. As, uh, as the scripture told us, he says, we believe, therefore we speak. And uh, there's a promise that they embrace. They know, they know, they know without a shadow of a doubt there will be a resurrection. Just as uh, God resurrected Jesus Christ from the dead, he will resurrect us also uh, from the dead. And there we will stand before God. And there is a presentation, lastly, that awaits. And that is they anticipate the fruit of their labor. So we looked at all that. That's the mindset of those that, that do great things for God and, and understand that if you have that mindset, then it will prompt what we're going to talk about tonight, and that is the methods of those that do great things for God. And if you see people that are doing great things for God, then they have that mindset. It's like uh, you know, one does not go with the other. They both go hand in hand. If you have the right mindset, then the methods will follow. If you are, are following those methods, then you have uh, the right mindset. It's a good check to see uh, where your mind is. And so in our text tonight, in, in this uh, book to the church of uh, this uh, epistle to the church of, of Philippi, Paul is uh, saying these things. And uh, we see that his mindset, he desired to gain Christ. That means, that means uh, when he says in verse number 8, he says, I count them all but dung, 
but dung that I may win Christ. That means to gain Christ, a better understanding of Christ. And he goes on to say, he says, to be found in him, having Christ's righteousness, to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. And so that was, that was again, kind of going on that mindset, mindset. And he says, so therefore, therefore, verse number 12, he says, I follow after him. He's going to follow after that, verse number 12. He's going to forget about those things which are, in, are behind him. He's going to reach forth unto that which lies behead, uh, ahead of him, and he is going to fight for, he's going to press toward the mark of the high calling or the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And let's, let's read that verse number 14 uh, real quick. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. And what does that mean? That means that he's, he's striving for that purpose that God has for him. That's what that means. He's, he's striving for that. He's fighting for that. That is his goal. That's what he's going to do. And so with that, if you desire to do great things for God, and then there are some things you will implement in your life, things that you will physically do, and uh, they'll show... In, uh, in your actions. And the first thing, speaking about the methods of those great servants of God, we see the first thing they do is they simply place their faith in Jesus. They place their faith in Jesus. Romans 10, 9 says this. I'm going to skip around and read several uh, verses of Scripture to you, but Romans 10, 9 says this. It says, That if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus, shalt believe in thine heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. And so they trust in, uh, in God's salvation plan. I mean, that's simple. Listen, if you're ever going to do anything great for God, you must be born again, right? You must be born again. God can and God has used heathen to accomplish his will. But it was not because of them, it was in spite of them. Let me give you an example. God used Judas to accomplish his will. Amen. God used Nebuchadnezzar to accomplish his will. But it wasn't because of them, and certainly it was not to their credit. It was to God's credit. And so if you're ever going to do anything for God on purpose, I mean, Judas did it on accident. Nebuchadnezzar did it on accident. If you're ever going to do anything great for God on purpose, you must be born again. And so... It, Salvation is very simple. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time. I, hopefully, if you've been born again, say amen. Hopefully, uh, there's none of you here that has not. But if you have not, the Bible says that today is the day of salvation. Amen. You must realize you're a sinner. There's a price for sin that Jesus paid your price and that you must put your trust place your faith in Jesus Christ and receive that gift. And so if you're going to do great things for God, you must place faith in Jesus, trust in his salvation plan, but that's not it. You must trust in his strategic plan. And this is kind of where the rubber meets the road. God has a plan for your life. You've heard me say that before. Everyone in here, God has a plan for your life. And what you have planned for your life may or may not be what God has planned for your life. And so it's one thing to trust in his salvation plan. It's another thing to trust in his strategic plan. No matter what the calling is, if you're going to do great things for God, then you have to follow his plan for your life. If you were to talk to anybody that grew up around me, 
And you were to tell them today that I was a preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ, they would first probably laugh. Second, they would be in utter bewilderment. And next, they would probably say, are we talking about the same Scott McGraw? That would be their reaction to you. And honestly, if you'd said that to me 20 years ago, I'd have probably done the same thing. Why? Because I had absolutely no idea that this would be God's plan for my life. But it is. It is. This is God's plan for my life. Not only to preach the gospel, but to pastor. And so I have no, under, I have no idea why God would use me that way. I would have never, even after I was born again, I would have never considered preaching or pastoring the church. Never would have crossed my mind. That may be what God has for you. It may be something, I'm talking to the men when I say that, women. Hey, man, if you don't like it, that's fine. Either way. Either way. But it, it could be something that you would have never considered that God has for you. But he still does. Just because it's not in your plan does not necessarily mean it's not God's plan. God has a strategic plan for your life. And if you're going to do something great for him, listen, you have to follow that plan, no matter what the calling is, no matter what the calling is, no matter what the country is. I mean, uh, I'm, I, have, uh, I have thanked God on numerous occasions that he has not sent me to be a missionary. Right? Because if I'm going to be honest with God and honest with myself and do his will, then I would have to go. And I don't want to. Amen. I don't. I don't want to go. But if that's what God called uh, in my life, put a place on, placed on my heart, then if I'm going to intend on doing anything great for God, I've got to follow after. I've got to follow after. Because I need to be. If you're going to do great things for God, you have to be in His perfect will. You can't be in His passive will. It does not work that. And so I thank God for all those missions. I thank God for people like Brother Dylan that are willing to, willing to do that, willing to leave family behind, willing to leave country behind and go off into a foreign field and do that. But the Bible tells me in Psalms 37, 23, he says, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delighteth in his way. And so if when we're talking about the method of what people actually do uh, that have the right mindset for God is they're going to forget about the plan that they have for their life, and they're going to just follow the plan that God has uh, for their life. And so we see that to do great things for God, you must place your faith in Jesus, in his salvation plan, in his strategic plan, but then you also need to prioritize properly. Prioritize properly. And this is where, this is where a lot of people fall short. This is what gets a lot of people. Matthew 6, says this, Jesus said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these other things will be added unto you. He said, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things. You know, all the things that, that, are, that are petty that, that he didn't even really have, care to mention. All those other things, they'll be added. But that is priority, to seek the God of heaven and his righteousness. You must prioritize properly in your schedule. Um, it, it, it's my inclination, it's a lot of people's inclination to say these words. Man, you've got to make time for God. Right? Got to make time for God. Got to do what you can to make time for God. But really, shouldn't it be the other way around? Shouldn't it be that God is priority 
and then you just make room for whatever else? You see what I mean? It's like, so, in, in, instead of trying to, let's say this is your day, instead of trying to fit God in here in your timeline somewhere, that uh, you're just prioritized to God and whatever else comes along, then you fit that stuff in. Because what happens in the Christian life for so many people is the first thing to go is God. The first thing to go is, man, our Bible study or our prayer time or, or this or church or whatever. Man, that's the first thing to go. Amen. It is. So many Christians. Why? Priorities. What they place emphasis on. It should be a daily thing. You should, if you're going to do great things for God, you need to make sure that you have and you are spending time in study and prayer and meditation and, and all those things. I mean, it's, it, it, it's, if you run short on time, that should be the last thing to go and not the first. Amen? Something else should be cut instead of the things of God. It not only should be a daily thing, should be a weekly thing. I've been born again for about 19 years now, somewhere in that ballpark. And uh, within that 19 years, there wasn't really much ever a time in my family's life where we had to wonder if we were going to go to church or not. Wasn't really a question, was it? I mean, we just assumed, man. And it's pretty, it's pretty neat because on, on churches, rather than the occasion, other than the occasional Easter or Mother's Day or Father's Day, we're going to have church Sunday school, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, right? It's like clockwork. You don't have to guess about it. You don't have to wonder. You don't have to get a robo call and say, hey, uh, hey we're going to have church at uh, 6.30 this evening. But for some reason, it's not prioritized in many Christians' lives, such as you see today, Right? If you're going to do great things for God, God has to be a priority. His church has to be a priority. And then you get these people that say, well, you know, I'm just, you know, I'm not up to feeling like going. I got a tummy ache or, or whatnot. Those same people ain't got a problem going to work. Amen. Ain't got a problem going to work. They ain't got a problem going to the hair salon. There's a lady I knew back in Statesville, man, she was just so sick all the time, couldn't hardly ever make the church, but she did not miss a hair appointment. Amen? Now, that's just the way it was. And yeah, whisper, y'all know who I'm talking about. But that's not, listen, that's not the only one in Statesville, North Carolina. That's not the only one in, 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 in that little town, in that little church. That was just one example that I give you. I mean, there, there are so many people that whether they don't fill up the going or uh, some, some people say, man, I got family coming and I can't go to church today. You know what you ought to do? You ought to bring your family to church. Hey, man, that's what you ought to do. You ought to, you ought to say, hey, listen, it's church time and uh, we're going to church. And if they don't, they don't want to go for some reason, say, well, uh, then we'll be back later. Especially if they're heathen family, especially if they know not God. I mean, you ought, they ought to see a testimony in you that, hey, man, the things of God mean something to me. Therefore, I'm not missing it. But you're going to put that, and they see that priority in you. But just the opposite happens, church. Just the opposite happens. They see you shunning the things of God, then they will see that the things of God matter not even to Christians. And uh, let me say this, and I've said it before. And uh, this makes me no friends, but the facts, uh, the truth is the truth. And that is that um, 
there's a real problem when parents, when you put your ball games and stuff in front of church. Amen. And it's a problem for these reasons. Let me give them to you. Number one, what it communicates to your child. Because you're telling your child that that's more important than the things of God. It's also a problem in what it says to the heathen on your team because the heathen in your, in your team, hey, they're, they're saying, hey, man, it's church night. And they're here. It's a problem when it says it promotes in the community because your coaches and your teams and all that stuff, man, they'll continue scheduling on the church night if you're going to show up. And what it says to your fellow church members and your priorities. Sometimes the truth's hard, but it's still the truth. If, you're, if you plan to do great things for God, God must come first. You've got to set your priorities in order. You've got to do it. Else, live a life of spiritual mediocrity, because so many others do. So many others do, don't they? So, we see, if you're going to do great things for God, you've got to prioritize properly. It has to be in your schedule. It has to be in your sensibilities. And that is simply the daily decisions that you make. Whatever choice is presented with you. It, and, and I hate kind of to use that uh, beaten down term, you know, what would Jesus do? But really, it ought to be a question in all that we do. Well, what would Jesus do? What will draw me closer to the things of God or push me farther away? And in, in all those things, in all those choices, in all those sensibilities, we ought to prioritize that no matter if it makes us physically feel good or if it uh, blesses us in our spirit, we should always prioritize the spiritual over the physical. Always. So we see that you must prioritize properly if you're going to do great things for God. Next, we see that those that do great things for God, they pursue God's wisdom in His Word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Study to show thyself approved unto God a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. If you're going to do great things for God, you must study faithfully. Bible study is not simply for the pastor church. For all Christians. Let me put it to you like this. Let's say that you loved or, or you valued what I say. Let's just let's pretend for a minute like you did. Let's, say, let's pretend like we value really what I say. Would you rather hear me say it? Or would you rather hear, and, and me say it daily, or would you rather hear it from someone else once a week? Because, in a sense, that's what we do. We disregard God's Word, and we hear it from the preacher on Sunday. Wednesdays, if we're fortunate. But you cannot do great things for God unless you know the Word of God. And there's many excuses there. Well, well, listen, I, I just I don't read well. There's audio books to help you with that. Well, I don't understand that old English. Well, listen, if you spent any time at all in it, you would get it. It's really pretty basic. It's written on a fifth grade level. I've had uh, 
I can tell you this, I don't understand French at all. Anybody, anybody speak French? Bonjour, yeah, Miss Terry's got one. I don't speak any French at all, but if I was around it enough, I'd pick up some. I'd pick up on it. And the more I'm around it, the more I immerse myself in it, the more I'd pick up. That's the way it is, right? And so, uh, well, I I'll tell you, Miss Millie, when you went to, uh, when, when you've been to Honduras and stuff in the past, you, you, you surely understand more of what they say now than what you did before you ever went. Right? Because you were in there and you were around it for quite a period of time. And so that's the way it is. There is no reason nor excuse. I mean, uh, what is it? I, if, you like, uh, if, if you like wisdom, the Bible says that you can ask of God, who give to all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given unto him. James 1.5. So what? You just can't understand it. Is God a liar? Do you not think that if you diligently seek the face of God in His Word that God will withhold Himself from you? I think not. You must stay, study faithfully. You must study fearfully because you understand what is at stake if you don't. Many Christians, many Christians will not tell others about salvation in Jesus Christ. And you know why that is? Because they're afraid. They're afraid. A lot of times they're afraid that uh, they'll they'll be posed with a question they don't answer or can't answer. You know, they lack that confidence in order to do it. And so many people don't. Many people don't. You know how you overcome that? Study. Study. I mean, if I don't know something, then I want to study to find out the answer. If I'm afraid that they're going to ask me something that I don't know, well, then I'll study until I'm confident in my ability to give them an answer. And so they, you study fearfully so that you can convey the things of God confidently. And then you also study fearfully because what is the alternative if you don't? You don't share the Word of God and people die and go to hell. That ought to prod us. Amen. And we ought to have that fear of having blood on our hands for souls that are crying out from a devil's hell. It ought to prod us to action, Christian. Those that do great things for God, they're going to place their faith in God, in His plan of salvation, His strategic plan for your life. They're going to prioritize properly. They're going to put the first things first and everything else second. They're going to pursue God's wisdom in His Word. They're going to study faithfully. They're going to study fearfully. And then they're going to pray without ceasing. Ephesians 6.18 says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. Philippians 4.6, Be careful for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. Colossians 4.2, continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. 1 Timothy 2.8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And who said all of these things but that great man of God, Paul? Paul knew the value of prayer. He knew that it mattered. Church, you know prayer matters, right? You know prayer makes a difference. And there's so everything we ought to do. He said in everything we ought to bathe it in prayer. Ought to bathe it in prayer. 
Charles Spurgeon said this, he says, true prayer is neither a mere mental exercise nor a vocal performance. It is far deeper than that. It is a spiritual transaction with the creator of heaven and earth. Those who do great things for God will pray. They'll pray for others. I mean, that great ministry can work wonders. If you, if you don't believe me, I mean, if you've not experienced in your life, I'll tell you what, just ask Brother Jim there about uh, Brother Terry that one Wednesday night when he was up there in pain in the hospital and his church prayed for him. Romans 1.9 says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. And so Paul prayed for that church of Rome. And so prayer should be paramount part of our Christian walk. We ought to pray for others. We ought to pray for opportunity. If you were to continue on in Romans, I read Romans 1, 9. He said, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Verse number 10, he says, Making request, if by any, me by any means now at length I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Paul prayed for the opportunity to go into that church to Rome to minister unto them. How many of you have prayed for an opportunity to share the gospel or do something great for you? That should be part of our prayer, church. It should be a part of our prayer to seek God's face and say, God, I pray you present me with an opportunity. I pray, God, that in every aspect, Lord, morning, noon, and night, tomorrow, God, you give me an opportunity. Open the door so that I may walk through and share the gospel with other people. That should be a part of our daily prayer. It should be. And understand this. Understand this, Paul desired to go to Rome. Paul made every, upper, made every effort to go to Rome. And so he created opportunities that God would give him in order to spread the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so it's one thing to say, God, give me an opportunity. God, give me an opportunity. You know what God will tell you oftentimes? Go knock on your neighbor's door. But there's an opportunity. Talk to your coworker. There's an opportunity. Tell your lost loved one about Jesus Christ. There's an opportunity. And there's, honestly, the harvest truly is plenteous, but the laborers are few. There's opportunities all around. We ought to pray that we recognize them, that we take those opportunities when he presents them to us. We ought, and uh, those great men of God, they pray for others, they pray for opportunities, they pray away obstacles, those things that may be in your way. Pray that God would remove them, and I believe God will. All right, moving forward, we see that those that do great things for God will place their faith in Him, both in a salvation plan, a strategic plan. They'll prioritize properly. They'll put the first things first. Uh, they will uh, pursue God's wisdom in His Word. They will pray without ceasing. And finally, they will preach without borders. They will preach without borders. 1 Corinthians 9.19 says this. It says, For though I be free from all men, yet have I made myself servant unto all, that I might gain the more. And unto the Jews I became as a Jew, that I might gain the Jews. To them that are under the law, as under the law, I might gain them that are under the law. To them that are without the law is without the law, being not without law of God, but under the law to Christ, that I might gain them that are without the law. To the weak became I as weak, and 
that I might gain the weak. I am made all things to all men that I might by all means save some. And this I do for the gospel's sake that I might be partaker thereof with you. And so what is Paul saying here in uh, 1 Corinthians 9? I mean, he, it, it didn't matter what environment he found himself in. It didn't matter what attitude, what belief system, what ego or haughtiness was in him. Nothing kept him from sharing the Word of God. Nothing. Nothing. Now I say preach without borders. I'm talking simply about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Not necessarily preparing a gospel message and standing before you. I am simply saying proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you're going to do every, uh, something uh, for the cause of Christ, something great, it is going to involve the gospel. Let's be, uh, let's be frank here for a minute. The importance of the gospel is this. I mean, that was, that was the purpose in which Jesus came was to seek and to save that which is lost. And for, so for the Christian man, that's it. That's the end game. That's our, that's our goal is to see people saved. Man, I want to help people and, and all those. And I, I, let me just ask you a few questions here. What do you think is more important to, uh, to God? Let's say you were administering, administering the cure for cancer. Would that be more important or administering the cure for sin? Which one do you think God would think is more important? Uh, building a hospital where a thousand people got aid or leading ten people to Christ. Which one do you think God values more? Teaching children how to uh, play sports or teaching them about the Lord? Which one? The gospel is the end game. That is our goal. And so there is nothing great going to be done for God that does not incorporate the gospel in it. Does not have the, the gospel, let me just rephrase that, central to it. The gospel is it. And it's not simply a gospel for uh, the preachers to proclaim. It's a gospel for those that have been touched by the gospel to proclaim. It's those, again, we've been made members of Christ so that we can be made ministers of the gospel of Christ. And so it is to preach or proclaim without borders, no matter what the circumstance is, no matter what, um, what is going on, It'll not hinder you from presenting the gospel. So uh, we look at the importance of the gospel. Last, lastly, we're going to look at the impedance of the gospel, those things that would impede the gospel from going forth. And I thought of three things real quick. Number one, yourself. Yourself. That, that'll, that'll keep the gospel from going forth. It'll keep you from sharing it. Um, your lack of Bible knowledge or your lack of confidence or whatever it is. Your inflated ego, your haughtiness of mind, many things like that will keep us from sharing the gospel. And so that will impede it. Your audience, there's some, you know, we have some people that we are comfortable with sharing the gospel to, and there's some others that we just want to let somebody else do it, right? I mean, there's some people, there's some people that, hey, Hey, I think I can talk to them. We, we went to school together, or, or we had the same, we got kids in a grade together, or, or this or that. And, and so maybe we feel comfortable with them, but maybe not the drug addict uh, that truly needs the gospel. Hey, 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 man. It's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And we ought to have that mindset with us as well. It's the audience. Oftentimes that'll keep us from presenting the gospel. And then your environment. I mean, 
this, as I've said before, the church for many people is a safe spot. They're okay to talk about the things of God. They're okay to hear about the things of God. They're okay for that to be part of the conversation. But oftentimes, maybe not when they're at work or when they're at school or when they're here or when they're there. And so, therefore, we get uncomfortable when we get on our little box and we say, well, I, I can't do that here. I can't do that there. So it impedes the gospel for going forward. I want to tell you this. Paul did not let anything stop him from sharing the gospel. And that's why even today, as I mentioned this morning, either in my preaching or my prayer, I am, I am a descendant of Paul's faith. Because Paul did what he did 2,000 years later, I'm still fruit. I'll be presented to Paul, as will you. As will you. And so, if we're to do great things for God, we must proclaim the Word of God with no hindrances. We can't take into consideration who it is we're talking to. We can't take into consideration what environment we're in. We just need to, whatever opportunity God has for us, to take that and to use that and to share that. 